There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jeg tør påstå at episode 76 av Ingefær podcast er nyttig for absolut alle. Jeg heter Sara Lossius, Gretchen Rubin er ukens gjest, og gjett om jeg er stolt over å endelig ha fått henne på Ingefær podcast. Hun er nemlig en av mine forbilder. Hør bare her. Gretchen Rubin har skrevet flere New York Times bestsellere, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home og hennes nyeste bok som vi snakker om i dag, The Four Tendencies. Bøkene har solgt tre millioner eksemplarer og oversatt til over 30 språk. Det er jo helt vanvittig. I tillegg til bøkene har hun en innmari populær nettside, gretchenrubin.com, og en podcast med sin søster kalt Happier. Jeg oppdaget Gretchen Rubin for fire år siden med boken The Happiness Project, en bok som handler om hvordan Gretchen endrer vaner til rett og slett bli et litt gladere og bedre menneske. Hun er ekspert på vaner, hvordan de oppstår, hvordan vi best kan endre vaner for att få et bedre liv genom att jobbe mer effektivt, bli sunnere og legge til rette best hverdagen så at det passer oss selv. I den nyeste boken, The Four Tendencies, er tema hvordan vi responderer på forventninger. For klarer du best och genomföra träningsprogram når du har avtal med en veninne? Eller når du selv har bestemt for att genomföra det? Eller når du vet akkurat hvorfor du bør gjennomføre treningsprogrammet? eller når det å gjennomføre treningsprogrammet er viktig del av din identitet. Dette vil Gretchen Ruben gi deg svar på i dag. Jeg anbefaler alle å ta testen for att finna ut hvilken tendensi du er. Den finner du på gretchenruben.com. Og for min del så har det varit nyttig att finna ut hvilken tendensi jeg er, fordi det har økt forståelsen for mig selv, og fordi jeg lettere nå kan lägga til rette for eksempel arbeidshverdagen eller tiltak rundt å opprettholde og forbedre vanene mine rundt helse på en måte som er best for akkurat mig. Og for Gretchen gjør oss klokere, så finner du mig på sarolossus.no og som sarolossus på Facebook og Instagram. Rett gjerne Ingefær i iTunes og legg en kommentar på hvorfor du liker Ingefær, så at enda flere får ørene opp for denne podcasten. Har du innspill, spørsmål, ros eller konstruktiv kritik, så sender du meg en mail på sara.sarolossus.no. Har du lyst til å samarbeide med mig, kontakter du Adlink Media. Og om du liker episoden, som jeg tror du gjør, så lik og del i sosiale medier. Hi Gretchen. Hello. Hi, I'm so honored to have you on my show. I know that the last months have been busy. You have been busy with uh, your book tour. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's exciting to have a book out in the world, but it is a lot of running around. Yeah, but it's another best-selling book, isn't it? Yes, it is. How yeah. how does it feel? It never gets old. It's always exciting to hit the bestseller list. No, it it is. After, you know, working so hard on a book, it's great to find out that it's resonating with readers. Mm. Uh, I followed your work for several several years and I have to admit that one of the reasons why I quit my job for about two years ago and wanted to start working for myself was uh, kind of because of you. Oh. Cool. <laughs> I heard an yeah. interview with you at the Rob Wolf podcast uh, uh-huh. where you talked about how you had a great career in law but quit because you wanted to be a writer. Yes, and you had yeah, it's you had a similar realization. Yeah, kind of. I thought if you could do it, I could do it. <laughs> Terrific. Excellent. <laughs> so, thanks for that. 
Uh, and I'm not sure how many Norwegians are familiar with your work, so um, I think it's a good idea to tell us about your work in general before we dive into the four tendencies, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, right. I'm a writer, and I have a podcast, and I have a almost daily website that I update that's all about basically happiness and human nature. I'm best known for my book called The Happiness Project, which came out several years ago. Um, but in general, I write about happiness, uh, how we can make our lives happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, how we can shape our habits more easily, how we can understand ourselves so that we can set up things in a way that works for us. Because what I found is that a lot of times people think that there's like a best way or the way they should do something. And there really is no magic one size fits all solution that works for everyone. So I'm always trying to help understand you know, what makes some people closer to the life they want and other people are struggling? Like, how can you understand yourself and other people better so that you can set things up in the way that's right for you? Mm. And this is where the four tendencies uh, yes. come in, because I think you wrote about the tendencies in the Better Than Before book. Wasn't that the first time you mentioned it? Yes. So in my book, Better Than Before, Good Memory, um, I write about the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. So I identify 21 different strategies that people can use. And some work for some people and some work for others. Um, and as I was trying to understand why people sometimes could or couldn't adopt a habit, I stumbled into this personality framework that I call the four tendencies that divides people into upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. But it turns out that the, the framework is much bigger than habits because it, if knowing your tendency helps you know how to tackle your habits, but it also, it, it also goes to a lot of things about you, about what relationships you might do better with or worse, like career choice, um, why you might be procrastinating or, or having trouble moving forward. So it, it, it relates to your habits, but it relates to much more in your habits. But it was through habits that I first glimpsed this big distinction among um, how people see the world. Mm. Um, and before we talk about four tendencies, I'd like, uh, if it's okay with you, uh, if you could find out what my habit is, because uh, I know what my my tendency, I mean, I know what my tendency is, even though I'm not sure. <laughs> ah. And I guess kind of you, you found out which tendency I am. But if you could ask me some questions and then we could figure out together which tendency okay. I am. How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Oh, I knew that question would come up. Well, um, I make my own resolutions whenever I find it useful. <laughs> what do you, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Um, uh, arbitrary is not the word. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm. Now, if let's say you and I were sitting in the back room of a coffee shop mm. and there's no one really around. It's like a weird time of day. And there's a big sign and it says no cell phone use. Mm. And I pull out my cell phone and I start using it. How would you feel about the fact that I was using my cell phone? I wouldn't care. Why wouldn't you care? There's a sign that says no cell phones. Why mm. don't you care? Because no one is watching you. <laughs> okay. Because no one's watching or because it's not bothering anybody? Uh, I guess the last one. It doesn't bother anyone. It mm. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I mean, based on those two questions, I would say that you're sounding like a questioner. Mm, I think I am. That you think you are. Yeah. Right, because, um, yeah, so there you go. So two <laughs> questions was enough um, to tell that you're a questioner. Yeah. The word arbitrary is always a big signal that someone is a questioner. Yeah. They really yeah. object to things that are arbitrary. And I also that found out that I was justified. a... And also that I uh, I question my own tendency is uh, yes. a sign. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It's like people who say, I question the validity of a framework that divides people into four categories or that they're like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think that I don't see myself in these or I see myself in all of these. That's, you're exactly right. That's also a sign of questioner. Um, upholders, rebels, and obligers more clearly see how they're different from other people. Mm -hmm. I know that as an upholder, I'm different from questioners, obligers, and rebels. I feel that very deeply. I don't get myself mixed up with the other ones. Mm -hmm. Questioners are like, well, sometimes I act like an upholder, but sometimes I act like a rebel. And I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're really acting like a questioner. Mm -hmm. So, 
So good, we got you figured out. That's good. Yes, got yes. that done. But what what is before we go into the four different categories? What what's the four what's the framework? What's the four tendencies? So the four tendencies divides people depending on how you respond to expectations. And we all face two kinds of expectations. We face the expectations that come to us from the outside, from from outer expectations, things like work deadlines or requests from a friend. And then we have our own the expectations that we place on ourselves, our inner expectations, which are things like keeping a New Year's resolution or wanting to get back into practicing guitar. So depending on how you respond to outer and inner expectations, you're either an upholder a quest, an upholder like me, a questioner like you, an obliger like my sister, uh, or a rebel. Um, and so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So like you, they tend to dislike anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. Like, what's the purpose of having this rule? Like, why why does it say no cell phone if nobody cares? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm not going to observe it. Questioners turn everything into an inner expectation. If it meets their standard, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their standard, they will resist. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So they, and I got my first insight into this tendency, or actually all the tendencies, when a friend said, when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice, so why can't I go running now? And so, you know, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. But when she's just trying to go on her own, then she struggles. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. Like, it's unusual that they would do something like sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturdays. Because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to feel like doing on Saturday. And just the idea that somebody's waiting for me to show up at 10 a.m. bugs me. So... Um, and that's the smallest tendency. Rubble is the smallest tendency. Upholder is only slightly larger. The largest tendency for both men and women, the one that the, the largest number of people belong to is obliger. And then your tendency, the questioner tendency, is the next largest. So a lot of people are questioners, but the biggest number of people are obligers. And over one million people above the, uh, around the world has taken your quiz. So you have yes. uh, quite a good data on this. Well, no, but I don't use the quiz for the data because okay. there could be there could be selection bias because mm -hmm. the people are just signing up to take the quiz. And questioners often raise this. So <laughs> if you're thinking to yourself, hey, isn't yeah, I don't see how this quiz can be accurate since it's it's biased by who is Gretchen's audience. You're right. And that is why I paid to do a representative sample of um of adults in the United States where it was like, you know, geographically dispersed and economically dispersed and everything like that to try to get a true representative sample. So yeah, a million people have taken the quiz. I do not use the quiz results in order to make generalizations about um the nature of the tendencies because because that isn't like a pure sample. But it's tons of fun. The qu the quiz will tell you what you are, but I don't I don't use that data set. I've taken the quiz twice just to make mm. sure that I'm <laughs> that I am a questioner. Yeah, <laughs> very questioner. Yes, and some I, questioners refuse to take the quiz because they're like, "Why should I waste my time taking this quiz? Like, I don't get the point of that." And I'm like, "That's questioner too." Yeah. I actually think yeah, I'm a, a questioner with a, a, a rebel inside me. Mm. Yeah, I thought I was an upholder, but now I think I'm the opposite. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe that's why I'm working for myself. Who knows? Well, I, you know, just about every tendency can do just about every career or job, depending on how they bring their own tendency to it. But I have heard from questioners who want to work for themselves because they don't trust other people to do the research or to really, like, make good decisions. Because questioners really put so much value on justifications and reasoning that a lot of times it bothers them if they're working in a, like, in a company where it's like, well, this is just what... This is what we're supposed to do, or this is what your boss is telling you to do. To a questioner, that's very maddening. And so often they do like to work for themselves because then 
they know that they can trust their own decisions and their own judgments. Mm. I need to have a, a strong reason why I do things. Yep. yep. Mm. So, but now we're talking about questioners. Uh, so what's the positive and negative sides of being uh, a person like me, a questioner? <laughs> well, the positive side is like they're very, they're very directed at like, why are we doing this? Like, why should I? And that's a great question for questioners themselves and also the people around questioners. Like, if you're working with a questioner, it can be great because it's like, well, why are we doing this? Or why are we using this software program? Maybe there's a better way. They tend to be very focused on justifications, on efficiency. They like improving systems. They like fixing problems, making things work better. They tend to be very interested in data and research. Um, they like monitoring. Um, but every, with all the tendencies, the strengths are also the weaknesses. And sometimes questioners can drain and overwhelm other people with their persistent questioning. You know, people are like, we've talked about this for 45 minutes and you're still asking questions like that seems ex can seem excessive to other people. Or if you're like, let's say you're a teacher or you're a boss, you might feel like someone's questions are disruptive or undermining your authority or showing disrespect. Um, often questioners are told you ask too many questions. Like people feel like they're asking to, you know, it's just too much. And also with questioners, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, some questioners don't experience this, but some do, is analysis paralysis. Mm. And this is when a questioner wants perfect information before making a decision or moving forward. And so they can't kind of decide to do something because they're like, well, I want to just do more and more and more research. And a lot of times in life, we have to act before we have perfect information. So like, let's say you were going to buy a tent. You're like, how much research could you do on like, what is the best tent? You could do years of research on that. You know, there's so much available information. And then so sometimes questioners need to figure out ways to end that, that they're questioning because their analysis paralysis is, is, um, getting in their way. Mm. I actually, I, I thought I didn't have anything like that, but then, uh, I looked around in my living room and, uh, we don't have, uh, our artwork work is still on the floor because I know if I'm going to have our art, uh, up on the wall, I need to do yeah. tons of research how uh, to present the art best and I don't uh -huh. have time. So hence, I don't do anything. There you go. Yes. And that's so, actually a pattern in my life in the more uh, not important things, because when I decide I, I'm, I'm really efficient. But before I make a decision, I, am, uh, I really need to make sure that I have enough research. And that takes time. Yes. Mm. Yes. So one thing, so some strategies that questioners can use to deal with that issue. One is set a deadline. Like, uh, we're going to have, we're going to have a party. And so I have to have the art up at the end of three weeks. Yes. That's uh, why I have parties uh, yeah. twice a year. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Cause that sets a deadline yeah. or you can, um, set limits. Like I'm going to read five articles about presenting art, but I'm not going to read more than five articles about presenting art. I'm going to put a limit on it. Or you can use trusted authority, which is like, I'm going to hire somebody to come hang this art and I'm going to leave it up to them because they're an expert. Or I have a friend who's an, who's a, was, is like an, it, it works in art and I'm going to have this person come over and advise me. I can trust their judgment because they have, they have an authority that I can respect. That's some ways to deal with it. And it's interesting that you say it's, it's like the smaller things. A lot of times questioners will say they have no trouble making big decisions it's things like, what calendar should I buy? Mm. That can kind of drive them crazy. Yes. Um, so it's, that's an interesting pattern as well. It's not the big questions. It's not the big decisions. It's the smaller decisions sometimes that can um, start taking up a lot of time. And my husband is also a questioner. Is mm. that a common pairing? You know, I don't know that it's a common pairing. I, it's definitely something that comes up. And, it, and in some ways, it's great because questioners can then trust each other because they know if you know that your husband isn't going to make a stupid, thoughtless decision, you can set, you can let him make some decisions yes, because you, again, him. you can, you trust him, you can yeah. delegate to him. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes two questioners can kind of feed off of each other because if he were just like, let's hang up this art, I'm just going to do it. 
and I'll deal with it. You, but because he's probably like, you're right. We do need to figure out the right way to do this. And so your questioning can kind of end up feeding on itself. Mm. Um, where should we go on vacation? Ugh. It raises so many questions. How Actually, do we, we, we use months. <laughs> we yeah, there stuff? you go. Because it's like, do we want do we want to relax or do we want an adventure? Do we mm. want to go someplace cheap or do we want to go someplace luxurious? You know, I mean, it can go on. So, yeah, it, but I think once you recognize the pattern, you can say you can say to yourselves or like when you're having a conversation, it's not efficient for us to drag this out too long. Let's find ways to try to help ourselves get through this efficiently because we recognize that we can fall into this trap of the lure of infinite research. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to take control of that so that it doesn't become it, it, it? We don't let it drag us down. Um, the largest tendency is the obliger, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. And you call them the rock of the world. Why? Well, they're the rock of the world because they're the biggest tendency. So you either are an obliger or you have many obligers in your life. Mm. They readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So these are people who, you know, if you go to them and say, hey, can you help me out? The obligers are the ones probably who are most likely to say yes. So that's why they're the rock of the world, because they're the most likely to because upholders, questioners and rebels all have their own reasons for saying no. And sometimes that's a real advantage. But sometimes in life, it's nice when people are like, yeah, I'll help you out. Yeah. Um, and so that's really important. Um, and obligers also are the rock of the world in that they're the tendency that pairs up the most easily with any of the other tendencies. They are the kind of universal pair. It's like uh, blood, blood type yeah. O. Blood type of mm. the universal donor. But um, the thing about obligers is that they often feel very frustrated because they see this pattern where they're meeting outer expectations, but then they're not meeting their own expectations for themselves. And that's a real um, that's a can be a real disappointment and frustration. So the key for obligers is to recognize that if they do want to keep an inner expectation, what they need in order to do that is outer accountability. That is what works for obligers, outer accountability. So if there is, so no matter what it is, whether it's an outer expectation or an inner expectation, you as an obliger want to put in that outer accountability. So if you want to read more, join a book group where they expect you to read the book. If you want to exercise, sign up for a class where they're going to take attendance, where they're going to charge you, or exercise with a friend who's going to be disappointed if you don't show up. Mm. You, know, you want to create systems of outer accountability. Um, that is what works for obligers. But I guess many oblig obligers, before they know that they are an obliger, uh, feel frustrated by themselves because they, uh, um, they can't make themselves do whatever they want to do. Do you understand oh, yes. the question? Mm. Oh, 100%. No, this is a huge thing with obligers. And and that was one of the things, exactly your point is is one of the things that gave me my first, it helped me get understand the, the dynamic of obligers. Because I had a friend who I now know is an obliger. And she was saying to me, oh, my problem is I'm so lazy. And I'm like, you can't, how can you say you're lazy? I see you meeting all these work deadlines. I see you doing all this volunteer work at school. I see you doing a million things. It can't be laziness that is keeping you from exercising because you're not lazy. So what's going on? And what I realized ultimately it's because she was great at meeting outer expectations, but when she was just like, oh, and I should go running on my own. That's when she struggled. So a lot of times obligers will say, I'm lazy. I lack willpower. I can't put myself first. I'm a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I can't put, I can't make myself the priority. And I'm like, get rid of all that thinking, strip that away and just think about creating structures of outer accountability and then you will follow through. And I've heard from countless obligers saying, this is the key thing that helped them start a new you know, start working on their own, lose weight, start exercising, take medication properly, all these things. Um, that outer accountability is the key. But here's the other thing that's really important for obligers to recognize is there's this pattern of obliger 
rebellion. That was my next question. <laughs> yes, right? Maybe you've seen this. Um, it's very dramatic when it happens. So obligers will meet, meet, meet expectations. Then suddenly they snap and they're like, well, this I will not do. And they will refuse. And sometimes it's small and symbolic. Like, I'm just not going to answer your emails for a couple weeks. Or sometimes it's huge. Like, I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to I'm going to end a 20 year friendship because expectations are just too much. And obliger rebellion happens when obligers feel neglected, exploited, taken advantage of, unheard, or when burdens are just so heavy they can't be managed. Because obliger rebellion is meant to kind of blow up a situation to to save the obliger. Um, but it's often very destructive. And the people around obligers don't understand it. Cause it because, like, you know, you might say to somebody – well, you're having this huge explosion, but like you never said anything about this before. You never told me there was any problem. If you didn't want to do it, why did you say you were going to do it? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to other people. And so it's important for obligers and the people around obligers to be on the lookout for this building resentment and anger that will turn into obliger rebellion because it could be a positive thing, but it could also very well be a negative thing. So it's better to thwart it and control it and understand it rather than to let it kind of just explode and then deal with the consequences. And what about the upholders? That's uh, your tendency. Mm -hmm. And and I was thinking, is this the best tendency, kind of? Mm. You know, I don't think there's a best tendency. You know, when you say who's happiest, healthiest, most productive, most creative, mm -hmm. it's really the people who have man like have. Got, get the best from their tendency or figured out how to harness the strength of their tendency and also figured out how to offset the limitations and weaknesses of their tendencies. So you could say, you know, in a way rebels, sometimes rebels and obligers are the ones most likely to say they don't like their tendency, but rebels, some rebels love their tendency and think it's the best tendency. Many questioners think their tendency is the best tendency. Mm. I love being an upholder. Um, so it's really not a matter of tendency. It's a matter of like figuring out how to work with your tendency to get wherever you want to go. Mm. Um, there are advantages to being an upholder because, you know, upholders are self-directed. They don't need a lot of accountability or supervision. Um, they're good self-starters. Um, you know, they're just very good at following through with expectations. And there's a lot of you meet both inner and outer, isn't it? Yes. yes. You, you meet mm. both inner and outer. Mm. So you meet the work deadline and you keep the new year's resolution to yourself. But, uh, so, and you also easily form new habits, but you tend to be that some people tend to uh, think you're uptight. Yes. Mm. Yes. People often think that upholders are rigid um, because they kind of have an idea in their mind of how they want things to go and they don't like deviating from that. So mm. it's kind of like, well, yeah, we have family staying with us this weekend, but I need to train for the marathon. So I'm going to go for a 12 mile run. It's like, yeah, I just like I need to stick to that for myself. And I don't. um It doesn't really matter to me that we have this, this, these people visiting. Um, that might be something. Um, and then upholders can also have tightening, and that's when rules get tighter. Um, for most people, rules, like if let's say you, you're trying to exercise, you're trying to take 10,000 steps a day for exercise. Over time, you might kind of loosen that up. But for upholders, sometimes rules get tighter, and that can be very choking if upholders don't stay in control of it. Like I heard from one upholder who was like jogging in the bathroom at midnight um, to try to get his, to try to get his 10,000 steps up because he couldn't stand the idea of not having met that minimum for the day. Mm -hmm. That can be hard for upholders. And, and upholders can also sometimes seem judgmental because a lot of times things come pretty easily for upholders and they don't understand why others are struggling. So they sometimes don't have a lot of empathy uh, for other people and what other people need in terms of the circumstances. Like, and, like, let's say you and I were working together. You might say, like, well, I'm not going to do this until I understand why. And I might be like, why do we have to sit around and talk about it? Like, this is clearly what we need to do. Let's just, like, get on with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're like, why would I do it if I don't understand why? And I'm like, oh, why do we have to have this long conversation about it? You know, but once you understand the tendencies, you can say, like, well, this is how an upholder would see this. This is how a questioner would see it. It's not one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just we just have different perspectives. 
So do you understand others better after finding out the, that your tendency is uh, upholder? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I can't even ex- tell you how much more I understand the world um, because, you know, and I think it was an advantage in doing this frame in, in understanding the framework that I did come from kind of like a, a small fringe tendency. You know, there aren't that many rebels and there aren't that many upholders. And I think that showed me other people's behavior better. I think a lot of times obligers and questioners think everybody is like them because a lot of people are like them. But I knew a lot of people aren't like, not that many people are like me. Like, what is their deal? You know, and that's, if you get upholders together, they're like, what's that? What is up? Like, why can't people get their stuff done? That's what they always say to each other. So I knew that there was something different about me. Um, and I think that helped me understand the different perspectives where obligers are often like, well, everybody feels this way. Like they really don't. They really don't feel that way. But I also think that uh, maybe um, as, um, I wouldn't be able to write the happiness project, but you as an upholder uh, could do it because you said to yourself that you're going to do a different task every month and then you did it. But And that's exactly right. Mm. You, that is exactly one of the things that led me to the Four Tendencies because after the four, after the happiness project came out, People kept saying to me, but how did you get yourself to do all those things and keep all those resolutions? And I said, well, I identified the things that I thought would make me happier. And then I just decided, you know, I'd write them down and then I would do them and see if they made me happier. And if they did make me happier, then I would just keep doing them. And, and, And people would look at me very puzzled and say, but how did you get yourself to do it? And I was like, I don't understand what you're asking me. And over time, finally, I was like, clearly something is easy for me that other people can't imagine themselves doing. Mm. Why? Well, now, exactly as you say, now I know as an upholder, that's the kind of thing I'm good at. But for many people, they would need to have things set up in a different way. And now I know that. At the time, I didn't know that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And uh, to the last tendency, Rebels. Uh, yeah. And I'm actually wondering if my older child, she's four, is a rebel, but she might mm. be too young to know for sure. But tell us about the Rebels. So it's interesting that you say that about your child. I would say that many... For some children, you can't tell what their tendency is until they're much older because children aren't autonomous in the way that adults are. But some children, you can tell. And I think you often can tell a rebel very young. I've heard from many, many, many parents of three, four, and five-year-old rebels. Um, It's the smallest number of people are rebels, but it's the longest chapter in the book because it's the hardest, I think, for the other three tendencies to understand. It's a very, very different way of seeing the world. Mm. And the thing about rebels, and if you're the parent of a rebel, you really want to sit down and think think this through. They want to do what they want to do, and they can do anything that they want to do, anything they choose to do. They always want to be projecting their identity into the world, so they can do anything that's consistent with who they are. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And so I've heard from like, – it's hilarious. Like how many rebel – like teenagers I've heard from who specifically use the example of making their bed. They will be in the process of making their bed, 
and they'll hear a parent yelling, don't forget to make your bed. And they will literally throw the covers back and unmake the bed because it's like, well, I was going to make the bed when I wanted to make the bed, but I'm not going to make the bed because you told me to. And so one of the things about rebel, very young rebel children is you realize how easy it is to get into the practice of giving orders to rebel children, which they will then resist. So you might say, tell Aunt Jane what a nice time you had. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what you told me to. Um, or, um, well, we're going to go in five minutes. You can't make me go in five minutes. Go put on your socks. I don't want to put on my socks. Mm. You know, and so, but if you speak to a rebel child in a different way, you can really get a lot more cooperation. And this would be true for an adult, too. But, like, for a child, you would say, you would appeal to their identity and you would say, you know, I don't think there are many four-year-olds who can be as consistently polite the way you are. I really see how considerate you are. When you're a guest, you just always remember to say thank you. And that, you know, that is really, you are really a considerate, polite person. And then the child's like, yes, that is who I am. That is who I choose to be. Or you could say something like, if you put on your socks now, we'll have longer at the playground. Uh, you know, it's just like, we have an hour. So whenever you feel like going, get ready and then we'll go. And then it's like, yeah, I would rather be at the playground. So I'm going to get ready now. But if you're telling me I have to do it now, well, then I'm not going to. Um, and same thing at work. You know, if you say to somebody, uh, you have to go to the 10 a.m. staff meeting on Wednesdays, the rebel could think, well, you know what? You're not the boss of me. Or maybe you are the boss of me, and I'm not even going to pay attention to that. I don't have to go. You can't make me go to the 10 a.m. staff meeting. But you could say something like, well, you know what we do at these weekly meetings? We divide up the work. Um, and so the people who are at the meeting, they take all the interesting projects, and they leave the boring projects for the people who can't make the meeting. So the meeting is at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, and then it's up to the rebel, like information, consequences, choice. Do I want to miss the meeting and get left the dregs of the boring work, or do I want to go to the meeting and stand up for myself and, and try to get a good, a good project to work on? You but can't how, how tell them you, what to do. But how do rebels get things done at all when they resist both inner and outer expectations? Well, this is a huge this is a huge issue, and that's part of why that chapter is so long because mm. um, that is something that many many rebels um, are frustrated by. And for instance, something like to do lists or schedules, um, many rebels have said, "I don't understand it." You know, I I get why they would be useful, and I make them, and then I just ignore them or resist them or do just the opposite. You know, like I'll I'll say to myself, "I'm giving up flour. I'm not going to eat any more sugar," and then I run out the next day and buy a big you know, loaf of cinnamon bread because I have to prove to myself that I don't have, nobody can tell me what to do, not even myself. Mm. So what can rebels do? Rebels can always think about their identity. So let's say a rebel's trying to give up sugar. A rebel could say something like, I'm a healthy, active person. I don't, I choose to eat clean, healthy, non-processed foods. I'm not addicted to sugar. I don't want to be a slave to cravings. I don't want big food companies to control me with their marketing campaigns and their fancy packaging. Um, I, oh, I'm sorry. I can't turn off the phone. No I'm supposed to, well, I just cut it out later. Just sorry. I can't, if I disconnect it, I can't get it to reconnect. So I just have to let it go, but well, we'll cut I heard, I heard the, the phone in other podcasts. So I kind of, okay, cool okay, good, yeah, I, I can't even turn it off. And I, I, there's so much technology. I could like, I can barely hang on to what I have. Um, there we go. Um, Oh, but so for so for instance, with a to-do list, um, rebels have come up with all these ways to harness the power of the rebel tendency. So I've heard of rebels who, instead of having a to-do list, have a have a could-do list. This is stuff I could do if I felt like it, or I could ignore it. But it, I'm not telling myself I have to do it. I'm just saying these are things that I can do whenever I feel like it. Rebels are often good at doing things spontaneously. Like this is what I feel like doing right now. And so if you're around a rebel and like they, you know, let's say you have a rebel spouse and at like 11 p.m. when it's really bedtime, they're like, I feel like doing the taxes. Don't say like, oh, no, you should do it tomorrow morning when you're fresh and well rested. Never tell them like pick another time because in the morning they may not feel like doing it. It's like if you feel like doing it right now, let yourself do it when you feel like it. Let yourself be spontaneous. Um Uh, another way they use lists is one rebel told me that she wrote down tasks on slips of paper and then put the, the slips in a jar. And then when she felt like she wanted to tackle something, she would reach into the jar and choose something at random and kind of that playful aspect of it. 
made it more fun for her and didn't didn't make her feel like a spirit of resistance. Um, so there's ways that rebels can work with themselves mm. um, to figure out how to get where they want to go. But it's hard for rebels because a lot of times the things that work very well for other tendencies don't work for them. So say accountability which is crucial for obligers hmm. can often turn off rebels. They don't yeah, I want would be to stressed. feel. I I I'm, I feel stressed if I have to do something. Uh, kind of. Well, it's yeah. not even like rebels feel stressed about it. It's that they feel like they want to resist it. And hmm. and rebels will often say, "I was going to do something until somebody told me, and now I won't do it, even though that's what I wanted, because I have to show them that I'm free." Mm. And that they're not being, they're not controlling me. So it's not even like the stress of meeting the accountability. It's like this refusal to be watched or be told what to do. And so you can see how this could become a huge problem. So for instance, let's say a rebel, I'm a doctor and a rebel comes into my office who's been taking the medication that I, I recommended. If I say, it's so great that you've been so conscientious in following my orders, well, the rebel might be like, well, I'm not following your orders. You're not the boss of me. I'm going to stop taking this medicine. Mm. Because you're telling me what to do, and I'm not going to let you tell me what to do. So if you're talking to a rebel in a thing like that, it's more like you'd want to say something like, well, when people take their medication, they are pain-free. We see that they are not dependent on walkers or canes. They're, they have much more mobility. They're not dependent on other people. They can travel. Uh, they're more youthful. You know, these are things that I want as a rebel. I want to be pain-free. I want to have choice. I want to have freedom. I, want to be, I don't want to be dependent on other people. That's what I want. So I'll do what I want, which is take the medication, because that's what I want. I'm not going to do it because my doctor told me to. But when I read about the rebels, what came to mind was uh, first movers and trendsetters. Do you agree? Not necessarily. Okay. I mean, rebels are very good at thinking outside the box, mm -hmm. and they're very good at flouting convention. Um, but I think that I, I don't. I, but I think also that upholders, questioners, and obligers can also be trendsetters and first movers um, in their own way. One thing about rebels is they're very conspicuous. So there's a lot of talk about rebels because it's just very, it's like often very, their behavior is very striking. Whereas the behavior of, of an upholder is very boring. Um, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't, um, you know, be excellent at like executing or, or, or you know, or thinking very creatively. Um Yeah. One of the things, and that points out something about the four tendencies and Elizabeth on the podcast, happier Elizabeth and I talk about this a lot with some personality frameworks. They give you like, they try to paint a whole picture of you. Like a rebel is this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, that's you, the rebel, or this is you, the questioner. The four tendencies is very narrow. It only says how a person responds to expectations. So you're a questioner, and we could line up 50 questioners, and depending on how ambitious they were, how considerate of other people's feelings they were, how intellectual they were, how analytical they were, how extroverted or introverted they were, they would all be different. All the questioners would be different. But as to one thing, how do they respond to expectations – If I ask her to tell you to do something, you're going to say, why should I? Mm -hmm. That's the hard, that's what it is to be a questioner. But we don't know anything else about you. So knowing that someone's a rebel doesn't tell you anything about whether they're creative or whether they're intellectual or whether they're curious or whether they're extroverted or anything like that. All it tells you is that if you ask or tell them to do something, they're going to say, you can't make me, you're not the boss of me. That mm -hmm. is what it is to be a rebel. I see because me and my um, my husband and I we are very different. I'm more extrovert than him, but we uh -huh. all always ask the question why. There you and go. That's where we are similar. <laughs> but I like um, I like your example uh, you have with low carb eating because I know you eat low carb and you have a friend who eat low carb. Uh, so from the outside you seem alike, but the reason why you eat low carb is very different. Could you tell us about that? Yes, and that's an excellent point. You can't judge someone's tendency from their behavior. You have to know the way they think because the same the same behavior on the outside can actually come from very different places. So as you say, I eat very, very low carb, and it very much satisfies the upholder part of me because it's like here's a set of rules – Can you execute them? I, I'm, you know, I'm practically perfect in the way that I eat low carb. Um, and I find it very satisfying in an upholder way. I set this expectation for myself. Here are the rules I'm following through. I have a friend who is a rebel, hardcore rebel. And he eats exactly the way I do. But in his mind, it's like, 
I'm flouting conventional nutritional wisdom. I'm part of this small group of people who's going against the grain and we figured it out and all those other suckers, you know, they don't see the light. Like I can ask myself to do this extreme way of eating. I can, you know, I can meet this challenge. Very few people can do it, but I can. You think I can't resist this chocolate chip cookie? Watch me. Um, and, and he taps into it in a rebel way. Now, from the out, as you say, from the outside, we look like we're doing the same thing. And we are, but we're doing it completely differently. Same thing you could have, like, as a teacher, let's say I have two students who aren't doing their homework. One could be a questioner child thinking, this is a dumb assignment. It's a big waste of my time. I'm not going to do it. And the other child could be thinking, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. So, and if I wanted to get that child to do his or her homework, the way I would communicate with them would be very different, depending on whether I'm dealing with a questioner, in which case I have to explain my justification for making the assignment, or a rebel, in which case I want to remind the child that either this is what they want to do or give them more choice so that they feel like, well, this is what I choose to do given these circumstances. So you're right. You have to know why somebody's doing something. Um, I'd like to talk um, short about productivity structure and time management mm-hmm. because uh, I have problems with uh, creating structure for myself. I write to-do lists. Uh, I know I like structure, but I seldom carry through my own structure because when the time comes, the list or the to-do list might not be the best thing to do. I kind of question my own lists. Mm-hmm. So how, how do I do better? So because you're a questioner, and and I would say this for all the tendencies, is you want to go deep into the values and strengths of your tendency. So it sounds like what you're doing is you make to-do lists, but then as time moves forward, you decide that the priorities that you've identified are not actually the most efficient and most justified. Mm -hmm. And so you change it. So you might change your way of thinking and not and just say, like, I'm just going to keep a list of everything I want to remember that I might need to do, and then I will just as the time comes, decide at the moment when I have the most information about what needs to get done and when and when it makes is the most efficient and the most logical for me to do it, then I'll decide at that time. I'm not going to try to decide very, very far in advance because maybe I don't have the information that I need. But you always want to also remind yourself, well, is it more efficient to follow a list? Always like, well, what's your justification for making lists? Do you even think it's worth keeping a list? Maybe you don't need to keep a list. Do you need to make a to-do list? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a big waste of time and so you're only doing it half-heartedly because you're not really convinced that it's a good use of your time. So mm-hmm. I think you, what, you, what you really want to do is sit down and think about like what is the highest and most efficient way for me to use this process? Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, what about uh, – I, I, I think that the, everyone who works with people like teachers, healthcare professionals and so on should know about the four tendency. Do you agree? Oh, yes. Well, I'm glad to hear you think so. I do. I do think it's useful because I think it explains a lot of the conflict and the conflicts that arise and also the frustrations that people feel. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you see the the four tendencies, it's a lot easier to see how you could solve those problems, Um, often without much effort, um, once you realize what's necessary. So to sum up, if you, you want to um, communicate with an upholder, yeah, the person wants to know what should be done, and the questioners want justifications, yes. and the obligers want accountability, yeah. yeah, and the rebels and want their own way. Yeah. They yeah. want choice. Yeah. yeah, they want freedom and choice. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's just it's it turns out that once you recognize that, it's not that hard. So, for instance, let's say let's say I had a team, I was the boss of a team of many of people of many tendencies, and we got a notice from the headquarters that everybody at this company was supposed to start using a new software program. So I have a meeting and I announce, hey, here's this new software program. And people start asking questions. At a certain point, I could say, if you've heard enough about why we're using the software program, please feel free to go back to your desk. If you would like to stay here and hear more information about why we're using this software and you want me to answer your questions, I'm happy to stay here and answer those questions. So this way, like not everybody has to sit through all the questioner's questions, but the questioner feels like I'm getting those answers that I need. Because a lot of times I've heard from many questioners who are like, oh yeah, people tell me to do stuff all the time and I just don't do it if I don't think it makes sense. And I'm like, well, but in a in a work environment, that can be very disruptive. Because if like you're using a different email software from everybody else, it's or like you're you're formatting your report in some weird way, 
it's like that can make more trouble for everyone. But so we need to get you the justifications that you need in order to get on board, which is not hard. You just need to do that. Um, and once you realize that you could be dealing with people of a lot of tendencies, then you can you can kind of um, tailor your responses to a particular person. And before I let you go, I have uh, two questions I always get, always ask my guests. And sure. the first is, what do you have? What did you have for breakfast today? Clearly, not, oh, ha- not cereals. I had yes, I had scrambled <laughs> eggs and almonds mm. for breakfast today. Do you always have uh, that for breakfast? I always have scrambled eggs, and then I'll. But then, like, if we have bacon, I'll eat bacon. Maybe I'd have ham. Maybe you know, I have some kind of other protein. Mm. Um, never never bread never bread no mm. i don't eat bread uh, and i know you share advice in your podcast happier uh, and yep. i have to say i really like the advice uh, make sure you tick all the boxes that was a good advice oh good but good, do you good, have good. Uh, do you have another good advice that you want to share with my my listeners Oh, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, one that we did recently that was fun was don't let yourself fall into empty. So like never like always have a little bit of cash. Never let never have an empty gas tank. Always make sure you have a few stamps. Always make sure you have some a, a spare roll of toilet paper and you know printer paper. Um, if you're in a if you're in a place that has a subway system like I am, like make sure you have money on your on your subway card. Um, there's a lot of stress that happens when you realize like, oh my gosh, I need to do something or go someplace in a hurry and I'm on empty. Mm -hmm. Um, if you never fall into empty, then you save yourself a lot of hassle. Is there, uh, one advice that, uh, was, um, that has been life changing for you? I think for me, it was, it was giving up sugar. Mm -hmm. I was a person who really loved sugar. I had a lot of cravings. Um, I ate a very like low protein, low fat diet and, um, I was hungry all the time. And then I completely switched the way I eat so that I don't eat carbs, but I do eat a lot of protein and fat. And it just like, it makes me feel so much better. I'm so much less hungry. I never think about sugar. I don't, I don't, I don't ever think about candy or cake or cookies or any of that. And I used to be like, I want one, I want two, I want three cookies. Um, that was the biggest thing for me, probably. If I had to pick like one single thing I did, that was that was a big one. Mm, thanks. And I have to say that I'm impressed that you created a completely new framework. Oh, well, you thank have... you. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to have uh, helped millions of people through your podcast, your app, your books? Uh, it's very gratifying. And I love mm-hmm. hearing how people have put different things to work or what resonates with people. Um, it is. It's very, very exciting to think that um, my work could help people to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. Thanks for being on my show, Gretchen. I'm really, really honored and uh, happy. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, well, thank you. It was so much fun to talk to you. Du har hört episode 76 av Ingefær podcast med mig Sara Lossius. Gäst var Gretchen Rubin. Vi snackat om The Four Tendencies. Jag hoppas du syns det var lika kul som jag syns. Så inte vi får höra som en uke, så kanske du kan finna ut av vilken tendens du är er, och se om du får någon ha upplevelser om dig själv. Ha det. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 